Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and compete professionals looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. It's February, which means we're still doing win-loss month, and Ben, we had a great guest to join us to dive into some tactical things around how to conduct win-loss but also sort of his personal journey on what win-loss did for his career in Compete. And that was Peter Mertens over at Sprout Social. Such a such an interesting story about how about working in Compete really elevated his career. Uh, we saw, and you'll hear a little bit of the passion he has for that and how he wants more people to know how, how valuable a career in Compete can really elevate your career beyond just that task um, and so i could listen to him talk about that all day because he's really passionate about that and that really comes through for sure another thing i love about peter is he presents this quantitative win-loss analysis that makes his way all the way up to the board and now is demanded for requested for the people are hungry for it at the board and exec level which has made him indispensable. But he's also going to share his scrubs. He shares a little bit about the first time he tried this and it fell flat on his face and what he did to course correct. Um, he's a human. He's super passionate. And again, like you mentioned now, he's really, really passionate and truthful. And when he says going into compete at Sprout Social was the biggest career accelerant he's ever had. I'm sure a lot of folks feel the same way. And seeing seeing what he's done in his career is really, really cool. I think we're going to have him in for a lot more stuff. I know folks want to learn about developing their career. What's next for me uh, taking on Compete? So love that angle as well that he brings. I want to give a little shout out to some Clue resources too, Ben, before we hop into the conversation. It is win-loss week or win-loss month, sorry, with the party doesn't stop in a week. We had our CE Live around presenting win-loss results to your executives. Peter talks about today, but we also have a template that is a customizable template that you can use to present your win-loss findings to the executive team. It follows sort of the formula that our experts over at Double Check Research use when they present to leadership. And it really just takes out a lot of the kind of grunt works that comes with kind of building this deck and allows you to spend more time actually working on interpreting the results, providing recommendations and all that stuff. Really applicable, usable template that some of the best in the business are using. So you can check it out in the show notes below. Let us let us give you the structure so you can do your best work coming up with the insights and delivering it. It's a cool template. Can't wait to release them into the world. Absolutely. Um, enough of us, though. Let's get into our conversation with Peter Mertens, the Director of Market Strategy at Sprout Social. All right. Today, I'm joined by Peter Mertens, the Director of Market Strategy at Sprout Social and recovering stressed out, maybe optimistic Portland Trailblazers fan. We're recording this a day before the NBA trade deadline. So we there's there might be a little bit of uncertainty in the voice right now, a little bit of uh, looking to the side for Twitter updates. But nonetheless, Peter, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. It is great to be here. It'll be very interesting to see when this airs how my feelings are now as we're <laughs> recording it compared to when I actually listen to it again and what has happened subsequently with the Blazers. 
there's a lot of things Peter would do for a potential Kevin Durant trade to be reunited up in the Pacific Northwest. But that's not what we're here for today. Today we're here for something way more exciting than NBA basketball. We're talking all things win-loss. Let's go. Uh, for those of you who didn't tune in to Clara Smith's episode of Back Office to Boardroom, Peter shared some really interesting stories about his experience uh, in his career so far. And one of the things that stood out to me when I was listening to that conversation was that you mentioned win-loss was your foot in the door in your career, kind of the launch pad. Um, and I wanted to dig into that again. And for folks, listen to that conversation it's uh, it's a really cool kind of look through in your your career and your journey and compete, but I want to dive specifically into that situation. Um, can you walk me through this initial win loss analysis that you present to your leadership team? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. So this will be fun because when I connected with Clara, I didn't actually get a chance to talk about the very first attempt that I had at a win loss analysis presentation and what an abject failure uh, it ended up being. I only got to tell the, uh, the the cleaner, nicer story where I actually succeeded. So I want to I want to start there because I think it's important, uh, especially for people who are really getting started with win loss analysis, to understand that it can be a bumpy experience and and you're going to have to keep tweaking it as you go along to to really get something to work. So. I had joined Sprout. I've been there for about six months or so. I was originally hired just to build out the competitive intelligence program. We didn't have a lot in place at the time. And so after I spent a lot of time researching the market, understanding it, starting to build out our own sales enablement materials, that kind of stuff, I started expanding and thinking about what we could do from a win-loss perspective. And, and you know, I reached out and, and picked some deals and uh, interviewed some reps, talked to a couple of customers, definitely not as many as I should have aggregated some insights. And I thought I had like a nice little presentation coming together and, and I felt good about it. So it was our our uh, VP of sales, uh, senior vice president of sales, uh, head of sales operations, and, and a couple other folks. And it was one of those moments where as I was presenting in the room, I could just feel everything shifting. I realized that what I had was not nearly as good as what I thought it was. And I could read it on the faces of the people in the room. And, and so we got to the end, end of it and, and, and the feedback basically was, that was, that was a pretty good first effort. <laughs> Here are a number of ways in which this could be improved. And it was really a humbling experience and, because I, I, I walked into it feeling pretty confident, but, but what I took away from it was, okay, what I just did there was, was not the approach that's going to work here for Sprout and for our specific needs right now as a business. And that meant that I had to reassess what they did like and what they didn't like, and then go back to the drawing board and try it again. And then that's what led me to that next go around where it was much, much more focused on the quantitative data. It was much more built out around very actionable insights that we could execute on very, very soon. And that was sort of what that jumping off point was. But there really was all that stuff before where it was not as great and it took a little bit of time to get there. So the lesson learned, what what didn't click then in in terms of your stakeholders? What were the things that were getting the the blank stares, the so what um, faces? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. So one of the biggest thing I think that I struggled with was extracting the actual necessary competitive insights to make a difference. What I found was when I, most of my conversations primarily were with our sales reps. And I don't want to discount interviewing sales reps post deals because there's there's a lot you can get from that. But most of what I got from that was, 
how could we improve sales process, right? Or maybe where do we have gap in like sales content? Or what does the BDR to AE handoff look like, right? And not that those things aren't helpful, but when you go to a meeting to hear about win-loss analysis on competitors, that's not really what you're expecting to hear as much about, right? And and so I think that what that kind of taught me was, okay, I need to spend more time really thinking about the lens of how it actually gets at the core of what our competitors are doing versus some of these more things that might be handled more by other teams, like I said, sales ops, sales enablement, that type of stuff. And so so that was where I got a lot more of the blank bases. When I started talking some of it about, you know, here's what we saw in this deal and what this competitor do, that was when their eyes kind of started to light up. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. This actually changes the way that we might approach these deals in the future. So you mentioned that, yeah, the second part, take two. There was a lot more excitement. Um, folks were more receptive. You mentioned sort of specifically your VP of sales success. So what were the specific things that really made them lean in? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, I decided to shift from one side of, of focusing predominantly on qualitative and and almost swing the pendulum entirely back to the other side to focus on quantitative. We generate thousands of trials a month. We have a lot of, of opportunities to assess. And so what I realized was from a scalability perspective, as one individual working on it, it was going to be much more effective for me to focus on that quantitative aspect. So uh, really, really categorizing all of the losses. So we actually, we take what's initially in Salesforce and we, and we pull it out and we do a lot of data augmentation, cleansing, that type of stuff within Excel and then pivot table the hell out of it until we start to pull out those insights, right? And so what we started to do was, okay, great. How are certain teams performing against certain competitors and at what price ranges, right? And things like that, as you started to like pull on those, those threads started to open up other questions, like once we actually got together as a group. And so really grounding it in the data to begin with brought a lot more credibility because it helped kind of fight back some of the things we typically see from sales leaders, which might be more recency bias. Hey, I've lost three deals in the last week to this competitor. We need to do something about it. But when you go and look at the data, it's like, well, that might have been three of the five losses we had all quarter, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so really grounding it in the data gave me a lot more credibility and then allowed us to start to ask better questions about what was happening in our competitive market. So on, on that note, then, when you can drill into something, you find a trend. Is it is like you've got this emphasis and you found a more useful, actionable trend, let's say. Uh, we're losing across this kind of deal range and to this type of competitor when you bring that to leadership and i think specifically you mentioned this is predominantly with sales leadership this first kind of quant um win loss analysis are you coming with recommendations ready to go are you coming opening the floor like how does that go because again it's 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 uh this is the funny process for people in compete product marketing running win losses you you're supposed to be the unbiased kind of store tr truth teller i think is how tracy barrett mentioned it but these are also like you're kind of sharing insights that are what's what i don't know the best way to describe it but there it's it's commenting on the performance of sales process which is what they lead so how, how does that kind of uh sharing the data sharing recommendations opening the floor what's that balance like yeah so the first thing I'll say to that is if you're not coming with recommendations, then you're doing a very significant disservice to the work that you've done up to that point. 
if you're the expert in the data and you're the one who has all of the context, you've spent the time reviewing it, then frankly, you should be able to come up with recommendations for other teams. Now, whether or not they accept those, that's on them, right? And whether that's the direction that they decide to go, that's kind of, that's the way it goes. And they, and they may like those recommendations, they may not. But you shouldn't necessarily be sugarcoating what you're seeing in the data and what you're seeing in the market. Because at the end of the day, that data and that information is meant to make your teammates better, right? And and it was actually one of my my direct reports, or actually not one of my direct reports, my, my manager who pointed this out when, when he said, you know, sometimes it, it seems as though you might not be speaking as directly as you could when you are interacting with some of these other stakeholders. And I would argue that actually you're not being a good teammate by doing that, because if you have the insights to help them be better at their job, you are basically obligated to help them be better at their job. And and so, again, whether or not they take it and whether they heed it and, and go in action on it, that's totally up to them. But you're the one who's done the work. You're the one who has the insights. You're seeing the whole scope of it. You should be able to come with those recommendations. And ideally, you're working in an environment where folks are open to hearing that and recognizing, oh, we can improve our processes. We can develop better content. We can run better sales cycles. And that will overall be best for the business. So what does that look like then providing these recommendations? If there's um, a listener right now that's thinking, okay, I'm going to take this from Peter. I, I want to provide my recommendations. How do you do that in a way that is most productive um, for for this kind of like back and forth with with leadership? Yeah. So there, there's a couple of things there. So the first thing I think is, as you think about competitive intelligence as a role and what's required of you, you have to really understand what's important to all of your stakeholders, right? So when we do our initial win-loss analysis, we have a, a lot of data and some rough insights, right? But what might be important to our sales leaders or our success leaders, marketing leaders, product leaders is all going to look a little bit different, right? And so it's up to us to make sure that we are tailoring that accordingly and then delivering to them in in a capacity, a format, uh, a, con a consistent you know way that it actually works for them and their business. And so as I think about the way that we deliver to our sales team, a lot of times it's very content heavy. It's probably a quick video to kind of help walk through some of those insights. It's an opportunity to drop in at some of their team meetings, right? That might look very different than what we're ultimately doing for the product team, where we might spend more time on a one-on-one -on -one basis talking about specific product areas where we're experiencing challenges. And that's because that's how they like to receive that information, right? So you do kind of have to tailor not only your findings, but the way in which you deliver it. And some of that comes down to understanding what's important to each one of those departments and then understanding how those departments work as well, too. It's no small task, but when done correctly, it can be really impactful for those stakeholders that you're delivering the insights to. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. Hi, I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue, and welcome to my new show, Winning as Women on the Compete Network. I will be joined by the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches in the world. Come for tactical advice from people overcoming the same challenges you are facing, and stay for real talk, exploring the moments behind the outward success. We'll go deep on topics like how to elevate as a seller, what makes a high value creating team? How can you make customer success a company-wide sport? And how to get an edge against the competition? 
And if the title didn't give it away, yep, the guests, they're mostly women. Why? Well, because it's mostly men giving advice on how to coach and lead in revenue teams today. We know representation matters and we want that next generation to only know a world where selling, leading and driving organizations forward is equally done by all people. Listen to Winning as Women exclusively on the Compete Network and make sure to join us for our next event. All right, back to the show. And with uh, sales leadership specifically, um, going back to sort of the successful example, take two of Peter taking on win-loss. Was there something that was uncovered that was previously unknown? Was that, Did it reaffirm some kind of previously held beliefs amongst the team? Like what was the thing that really kind of started to make this one really productive, the insights being very valuable for them and to like actually getting into action to help the business make smarter decisions or more? win more essentially yeah so when i think back so i've been at sprout now for about six years or so and and so uh we've come a long way in our in our competitive journey in that time and i think one of the biggest things was that when we got to that successful thing part of it was made it exciting is we didn't we didn't know what we didn't know right we had a lot of ideas about what was going on in the market and and a lot of small pieces of feedback from reps here and there and little slack conversations right but we didn't have like a cohesive aligned mentality around what our market was and what our role in it was. So that was like the first thing I was excited. We started, had somewhere to work from, right? And then as I think about kind of that next thing was there were some interesting things in there too, as you started to think about, it shifted our thinking around volume versus deal size, right? And and this has been something that as we look at Sprout's trajectory has been really important to us. So we would have competitors that we very much thought were tier one competitors because we saw them all the time, right? But then when we actually looked at the numbers and we saw the amount of potential revenue that we were winning or losing against those competitors, it was much smaller than some of those folks that we thought were tier two or tier three competitors. And it was like, oh, well, that's interesting. It doesn't mean that we should neglect that first one that we thought was a tier one, but we probably need to swap that, right? And those tier two or tier three are probably actually our real tier one competitors. And that means that we need to spend more time thinking about what enablement around them looks like. Do we need to change the way we collect intel on them looks like? All that kind of stuff. So it did challenge some of those existing beliefs we had that weren't really grounded in a lot of data up to that point and gave us a launch pad for how we could then iterate on top of that as we move forward. What what you're saying to me, it reminds me immediately of um, what Jen Roberts shared at Compete Week. She did a whole session on win-loss and she said, that win loss anchors you. It anchors you. And that's what it sounds like. There's like these dip water cooler kind of conversations. There's some ideas. There's some recency bias. There's some thoughts. There's some feelings. There's some opinions. But win loss really anchors you around what you mentioned there. What our competitors look like, where we fit within this market, like where are we there today? And it really can ground people and align people around that um, to make better decisions rather than everyone having their own sort of opinions. Another piece you mentioned as well, so you originally present this to um, to leadership, VP of sales success, loves it, brings it to the board. Now, I know you weren't present with that to the board, but what was their feedback to this kind of information coming to them? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, as you mentioned, I, I, at the time, I was uh, probably just a, a hair too junior to be presenting to the board. But, you know, I think there was excitement with the feedback that I ultimately got around actually getting some visibility into these numbers. Again, 
nobody was doing this at Sprout prior to my joining. And we were at a, you know, I would say a, a pretty pivotal moment in, in, in our in our trajectory. We had recently, you know, probably in the last 12 months had raised a, a Series C. Um, uh, we were still growing at a healthy clip, but the the market, the social market was was expanding pretty, pretty rapidly. And we were seeing a lot of our competitors also doing big fundraises and, and getting a lot of attention in the market. And so we needed to have a sharper focus on on what was happening for uh, for us relative to the rest of the competitive market. Um, and, and one of the interesting things then was that um, you know, the, as you might imagine, boards are very uh, number driven folks, right? Uh, so there, were, there was a hunger for for more of that and for it to go deeper. And then what what the interesting that then happened was that they became very fixated uh, on on two of our top competitors, right? The ones that probably represented, um, as we thought about the 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 qualitative aspects of what was going on in our market, plus the quantitative numbers that we were seeing and win loss. That as we thought about a three year five year trajectory, who probably was going to be, you know the folks that we would run into the most and the ones we probably want to spend the most time on, that's where a lot of the deeper conversations went around were kind of those top two competitors. So that was sort of an interesting thing because then it helped me sharpen my thinking when I would do prep for our head of sales success when he would go to the board meeting so that he would be really ready to go on, here's the really deep dive on what's happening within these two competitors, right? Because I know you're going to get asked about it. And so that's another aspect that I think that like, competitive folks as you think about your own career development, right? Where can you provide that additional resource? Where can you become that trusted asset to senior leaders? And that for me was like a very good place to invest my time was making sure that as he was going into those meetings, he was prepared for any of the questions that might come from the board, right? And then when he needed things, you'd come back and ask for that. So it did help kind of build that relationship. I've got a million and one questions on this dynamic here, because I think this is something we've, we're hearing increasingly, right? Is there's a huge value add to delivering sort of competitive intelligence, win-loss analysis, really providing an overlap that market to your board. We had actually the, the lead investor in Clue, um, Brian Murray from Craft Ventures, sharing that exact thing. When he sits in a lot of the portfolio companies, he can tell when executive teams come and they don't really know where they sit in the playing field and he can sniff it out right away. So in your, in your context now, what is, what is the most important thing that you should be delivering to the board? You mentioned there the two deep dives is that you're going deep, deep, deep on these competitors. Are you providing like an overlay of the landscape? Like what is something for folks in that are listening and it might be maybe a case by case, but that they should be providing to leadership to then deliver to the board. Yeah. So as we think about what's going to be interesting to them, one of the things that we've seen a lot of success with that we've that we've kind of built on is 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 how do you tell a more complete story? And what I mean by that is let's say you take competitor X, you competed with them 100 times in a quarter and you won 60, you lost 40. That tells you something, right? Next, what does the average deal size look like for those wins and losses, right? As you layer in that detail, it's like, okay, are we winning the bigger deals or are we, winning the loser, or are we losing the bigger deals? Does that tell us anything about our pricing strategy? Does that tell us anything about how we are doing our discounting strategy? Um, when you take that and you start to break it down by segments, if you're selling across different segments in your business, again, maybe you have one segment that's performing really, really well, really well relative to another. Does that mean that we should invest more? in that particular segment moving forward? Should we be hiring more AEs there because we think we have an opportunity to capitalize on that part of the market? Are these customers, are these head-to-head deals for net new customers or are we ripping replacing this competitor? If we're ripping replacing a lot of these, is there a weakness there? 
Do we need to let demand gen know? Do we need to let sales development know? Do we need them to spend something up and start going after their customers hard, right? So those are the kind of questions that we started to ask. If you start with just that 60-40 of the 100, that tells you something, right? But you've got to keep pulling on that. And as you build out that more complete picture and you say 75% of these, right, were rip and replaces, we think that we're going to throw a bunch of resources at really going after this particular competitor. And that's going to accelerate our growth number in the next quarter because we see that these deals close on average in 30 days or, or whatever it might be, right? Then you start to have a, a, a much more compelling story that's going to resonate with a board member, right? Versus what you need to do when you actually talk to a sales leader, right? And, and again, it's all about tailoring those insights that you have for that that right audience. But those are kind of some of the things that we started to pull on and started to ask more questions about as we thought about what's going to matter to the board and how do we make them get the best understanding of our market that we can. It, it allows you to inform and actually like kind of advise these the, the big strategic bets that you're making as an organization. What about you personally and compete at Sprout. Once it got the visibility from executive and then the board, what did that do for you personally and the compete program at Sprout? Yeah, I like to think that getting this job was the best career accelerant that I could have asked for, honestly, because it gave me, again, that layer of, of credibility in the organization to say, this is what's going on in our market, right? There's pretty much there's a handful of departments right in, in any business that don't don't need to know the ins and outs of their market right they, they may need to have a rough idea of what's going on but but probably not to the level of depth that a competitive program is doing but there are a lot that that really need to have a, a clear understanding and what that did for me personally is that gave me a seat at the table in conversations around how are we thinking about product investments right what's on the roadmap what's coming and and what is the data telling us that we either think we can build to capitalize on opportunity or competitive gaps we may need to close similarly do we need to as i mentioned kind of in that last answer do we need to invest more resources on the sales side of the house in certain segments because we think that we can outperform competitors there so if we throw more bodies at it then we have an opportunity there what does this mean from a messaging perspective as we think about Sprout's brand and what makes us unique in the market and how our customers feel about us? How do we capture all that relative to what else is being said in the market about our competitors? How are prospects and customers talking about their experience with competitors? What do they like? What do they not like? Right. All of that stuff should be inputs into each one of those departments core initiatives. Right. And so that allowed me to then start working with a lot more folks across the business. The more you can make yourself indispensable to a larger group of people, the better off you're going to be. And it sounds so obvious saying it out loud, but I don't think that a lot of people intuitively think about it. And, and that's really what you're doing there. Because what happens is someone's like, oh, we should get Peter's perspective on this, or we need the CI team's perspective on what, what's going on with this, right? And then all of a sudden, you're part of that conversation that you may not have been originally. So that that really was a, a big accelerant there where it started to get me in front of more of the right people. And then being able to share my perspective on what's happening in the market and what it means for them as individuals. I think as well, there's like an important distinction because I think product marketers, I think this is like an internal... Um, an internal kind of dilemma for people in product marketing and people running compete. Obviously there's overlap there is that you by nature are cross-functional, but there can be, there's this delicate balance between just responding to a lot of requests or being brought in for your strategic input. And I think listening to your story 
is a great template, a pathway for other folks that are looking to maybe want to shift from like, I don't want to just have a bunch of requests. And granted you will, but I want to be seen like this. And I think the way that you've approached this with getting executive buy-in, providing something that's of huge value to the top line of the business as well, while also providing value to folks in the field, things like that. That is how you kind of shift that perception from responding to all of these things to being brought in as a strategic voice. Yeah. I want to I want to add one quick thing on that because I think it's I think it's so accurate and the funny thing is nobody asked for the win loss analysis the first time I did it. <laughs> nobody said, "Hey, Peter, can you do this?" What I saw was an opportunity to deliver more information where I thought it could bring value. Now the first time it didn't, right? I learned from that. The second time it did. But but my point is that we get in, we fall into this trap of being reactive because we think that's how we get people to work with us, right? But what I found is is actually the exact inverse, right? People want to work with you when you bring something to them, right? And so you should be proactively bringing these insights to various parts of the business, right? And if it doesn't land the first time, ask them, what would be more helpful for you in the future? What of this did you get value out of? What, what are some questions that you have following this, right? Take that information to them directly. Then that's how you get more involved in 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 being brought into those conversations in the future. But if you sit there on the sidelines waiting for people to come to you, oftentimes to your point, Adam, you're going to just get a lot of reactive requests and it's probably not going to be the ones that you ultimately really want to be doing that are the high value activities for the organization. I love the way I love the way you've kind of structured that. It's, yeah, don't be reactive in this situation. And if you have that thing, again, you use win loss as sort of the vessel to really start to drive provide, be a value add, really be a value add across the org. And I love that. I want to get into a little bit of, you've mentioned a lot around when you provide win loss, it's been heavy, heavy quant because you wanted to anchor, you wanted to have, get rid of the subjectivity. At what point do you start to bring in qualitative aspects of win loss? Yeah. So on our journey, we started quant one because at the time, I was one person. We now have another uh, individual on our team who who actually leads a lot of that that win loss now, which has been awesome to to see her take it and and continue to grow and expand it. And and we started there because we had such a high volume of opportunities, right? And and so that was sort of a necessity for us to get a clear clear picture. As we have started to find ourselves involved in more sophisticated, complex deals with you know. Fortune 1000 type companies, that necessitates, obviously the data point on the quant side is helpful, right? But you can glean a lot from how that sales cycle was run and, and talking to the various people that were involved and, and if the customer is willing, of course, to, to be part of that too. So we're starting to do more of that because we're now at a point where we need to get deeper on some of those larger opportunities that Sprout is currently uh, finding itself involved in. And so as I think about how other compete folks should think about this, you want to kind of where if you're starting from scratch, you kind of want to think about like if you are just selling exclusively to enterprises and you don't have a super high number of volume of opportunities on a monthly or quarterly basis, like, yeah, I would definitely recommend that you pick five or six of those and just go really deep on right? But if you are like a PLG type, uh, product-led growth type company, and, and you're generating, you know, thousand 
several thousands of trials and leads per month. And so many of those are getting to close, whether close one or close loss. Like, yeah, maybe start with quantitative and then work in, in the qualitative. So I think a lot of it depends on the business. We just started there quant for that reason. But we also have spent in, in, in probably an unhealthy amount of time in Gong uh, because that's been a great supplement for, for customer interviews, things like that, right? It's not a perfect you know, replacement, but in terms of what we need at our current stage, we can get a lot from listening to those calls on those deals and, and then pairing that together with rep interviews with the quantitative data to get that really complete picture. So that, that would be sort of as other people, as you know, practitioners think more about this, how this works for their business. They got to kind of think about some of those things in terms of deal volume, who their target segment is and, and what data is accessible to them. So we've spent a lot of time kind of talking win-loss to the exec, to the board. Um, but when we think about what, what we really talk about clue here and with competitive enablement is kind of empowering the entire organization with insights. So what, what have you done to bring win-loss insights and compete insights? How do those combine together? And what are you doing to deliver that across the org? Not just that exact board level conversation, but to the sales team, the marketing team, things like that. So we take the initial board report, right? That's the starting spot. And that includes the highest, most general level of, of information, right? And then from there, what myself and, and Emily Coleman on my team have done is if we started to expand, if we took that report and we said, great, what information in this is most important to sales leaders, right? What's most important to product leaders? What's most important to marketing? Now, let's take this as a starting point, which gets us like 70% of the way there for that audience. And let's tailor it so that they have, again, what's going to be the most impactful for them. So we'll take that initial report for sales. We will go much more in depth and go team by team, right? Not at the organization level where you know we have like our acquisition business and our enterprise business, but we'll break it down to the team manager level. And then we will also highlight, for example, in the last quarter, here are three or four reps that did an exceptional job against these competitors, right? And here's what both, so these folks can be reached out to, you know, here's some things that we've talked to them about, they've learned and their competes and we can share that. Share these numbers, obviously, with your team, share this deck with your team, let them know how we're currently performing, right? A lot of times, folks just want to have a better understanding of what's going on inside their business. When you look at product, right, we categorize all of our losses. So product probably doesn't care if we lost a deal because a customer got stuck in an auto renew contract, right? And which which happens, unfortunately, more often than, you know, we all would like to admit. But we don't present that kind of stuff to them because it doesn't matter to them, right? So we go through and because we categorize all of these losses, both by product and by like zone that are the the, the teams actually like support um, within the product, we can get pretty granular and we can say, hey, guess what? Okay, you know, inbox team, we saw 25 losses last quarter because a, com because a customer or a prospect said that we were specifically missing these five features, right? Here's the revenue that was associated with it. Here's the Salesforce link so you can go read the notes and that kind of stuff, right? And so again, you, it, it all stems, stems from that first initial report, right? But it's a matter of taking it and again, going back to understanding what's important to your audience and then presenting it into a way that, that, that matters to them. So, so that's how we've kind of done it is, is really taking that, use it as a jumping off point, and then made a couple of different reports based off of that to share with leadership across marketing, sales success, and product. I love that. It's sort of repurposing this core piece of um, 
research into more relevance to each audience. Peter, it's um it's time for producer Ben's favorite segment. You ready? Yeah, as I understand, maybe not your favorite segment. Well, I like to bitch and moan about the questions for listeners the questions are provided by producer ben it is rapid fire the slowest rapid fire segment in podcast history oftentimes because i complain about the questions and ben loves listening to it and firing me up so peter you ready to dive in i am ready okay first things first preface this we do not condone nor are we sponsored by any betting companies here Uh, i know every single sports podcast in the world is now shilling sports betting but peter what is the most surprising bet you've ever won (laughs) so i I feel like this was a planted question (laughs) i produce your bed but uh the 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 long story short is uh a couple college friends and i for for many years have been doing um betting on uh, nba over unders and uh we pick a couple teams each year we we kicked in you know 100 bucks each probably seven or eight years ago and we just we keep rolling it through year after year and um we were having a really bad year in 2020 very bad year we were probably going to lose all of our money to be totally honest with you and then it was it was very disappointing uh, then, then the pandemic hit, and and what ended up happening was uh, all those bets were refunded, and and so that was like, wow, this is this is fantastic. So fast forward a couple of months, it's the presidential election, uh, and um, you know, 11 p.m. Tuesday night, uh, the the odds are going very very heavily in, in Trump's favor, uh, and and our friend who, who organizes this does not tell us that he bets our money on Biden to win. And and fast forward to Saturday of that same week, uh, they they announced that you know Biden has won, and he texts us and just lets us know. By the way, we won seventeen hundred dollars because I bet on Biden at eleven p.m. on Tuesday night. <laughs> this is incredible. Um, you're you're from Portland, one of the coffee capitals of North America. What's your preferred method to brew a coffee? Yeah, this has been interesting because I've bought a lot of tools for this my preferred is probably still uh pour over and chemex although i have recently purchased an aeropress which has been a lot of fun to experiment with and it's really great for a single cup i'm probably honestly going to go make a cup right after this how often does your last name get misspelled or mispronounced and did i do it during this episode you did not do it during this episode and uh it happens uh, a lot more often than than frankly i would prefer (laughs) Give our listeners one book recommendation. I'm not going to give like a business book recommendation because like we talk work, we listen to work, we do all that stuff during the day. And and frankly, I've read too many of those at this point. And and so I've just kind of moved on to like, you know what, I'll learn what I learned during work hours. So I actually revisited Dune and uh, which I read in high school. And uh, and then when the movie came out, I was like, you know what, I should pick that back up again. Still great. And and I've actually uh, subsequently read the second and third book and then ordered the fourth, fifth and sixth. So right now I'm on a on a Dune kick uh, for, for the sci-fi lovers out there. A Dune binge. What is one thing you're optimistic about in 2023? So I'm, I'm not optimistic about a Blazers championship, so I'll preface it <laughs> with that. But... I think I think I'm optimistic that that I'm going to work smarter this year. I think what I've found is that you know getting the opportunity to work on really interesting projects because of the stuff that I do in competitive is great, but it also means that I've got to say no to things too, right? And and I think that will, a lot of our that probably you know was a, a feeling a lot of our our the listeners experience as well too. And so I'm optimistic that that I'm going to manage my time better 
and that I'm going to be focused on the stuff that's going to drive the biggest impact for the business. And and maybe a very, very, very small part of me is is still bizarrely optimistic for, for the Blazers to do well. But <laughs> That's what sports fandom is, just irrational confidence at all Pretty times. Much. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people reach out to you, connect with you, all of that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Best place to connect with me is definitely on, on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to send me a connection request, shoot me uh, an in-mail. My email address is on there if anybody wants to, to chat there, but but that's probably the easiest place for, for folks to get in touch with me. Send your best fake trade. Send in Lillard out of Portland. Please do. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, and we'll catch you all next week.